0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 17th chapter. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here at once and take your place at the table? Would you rather not say to him, prepare supper for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink, and later you may eat and drink? Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. The Gospel of the Lord. When my boys were little, they exhibited some behaviors that I am certain are not unique only to my children. There were endless demands for give us more ice cream at birthday parties and give us one more hour when it came time for bed. What they didn't realize is that they didn't need more ice cream and one more hour awake. They needed more vegetables and more sleep. More importantly, I needed for them to have more sleep. they didn't know that then because they were little. Now they know if they eat too much junk or stay up too late, they feel terrible. And their grades and their sports suffer. That's not to say they, like the rest of us, don't make mistakes regarding overindulgence or that they won't ever make bad decisions regarding proper self-care. Suffice it to say, I haven't had to fight bedtime or the eat your vegetables battle for years and years. The honest truth of it is that kids will always ask for the wrong thing. It's not because they're stupid, it's because they're little kids. They don't know any better. While most people grow out of this stage, some people never do. The disciples have not. It's not that they're dumb. They're little. That is to say, they're young. Their faith is young. They don't have the benefit of thousands of years of doctrine to research when questions of faith arise. They don't have theologians and pastors to call for spiritual reassurance and comfort. Some later apostles have Paul to write to. He's kind of hit and miss. The disciples are little. Their faith is young. So they demand of Jesus, give us more faith. The truth of it, what these young disciples don't yet know, is they don't need more faith. They just need stronger faith. They don't know yet that faith doesn't magically increase in volume with the wave of a wand and some mysterious incantations they already have faith. Jesus has given them faith. And it's enough. They don't need more. They need stronger. And the only way to strengthen faith is to exercise it. But that's not an answer Americans like to hear. We want the easy solution. We want the magic pill. We want the miracle cure. Our tendency is always to say, give me more, more food. Many theaters, so gross, many theaters offer endless candy. And Burger King often runs endless fries as an offer. Gross is that? Give me more house, more land, more stuff, another car, another electronic device. We're trained to want more. The next thing, the latest thing, the biggest thing. But this isn't so with faith. Faith is neither large nor small. It either is or it is not. If you do the things a basketball player does, then you are a basketball player. If you do the things a painter does, then you are a painter. If you do the things a Christian does, pray and worship, whatever those things look like for you, then you are a Christian. And therefore you have faith. Whether your faith is weak or strong, mostly depends on you. I know that makes us Lutherans uncomfortable, but it's true. I'm not talking about works righteousness here. I'm not talking about access to the kingdom of God. I'm talking about participation in the kingdom of God to which all Christians belong by virtue of baptism. If you are a Christian, then you do the things that Christian does. Simply put, use the faith that God has given you and it will grow strong. If you don't use it, it becomes flabby. And the world has plenty of flabby Christians. Don't be a flabby Christian. I never had the privilege of being an athlete as a kid. We were poor. Uh, But I've seen in my sons the work and focus and discipline it takes to be a good runner or a good football player or a good hockey player. The moments of glory are but the tip of the iceberg compared to the countless hours of sweat and work and pain. To be a strong Christian takes exercise and work, spiritually, ethically, socially, even politically. Strengthening one's faith often means lots of work and sweat, sometimes even pain. Christians with strong faith tap into issues of our time these Christians see the intersection of faith and the world in which we live. Christians research current events and call out injustice and protest oppression, which doesn't always make you the most popular one at the party. Christians understand that the kingdom of God is to be lived and shared and grown to include all people, lived and grown and shared. These are all active verbs, not passive. Strong faith requires doing, even as strong muscles require exercise. Flabby Christians, on the other hand, do not engage the world. They draw lines between themselves and the other. They judge others for being poor, or displaced, or gay, or black, or alienated. They believe that merely invoking the name of God gives them the right to burn books and retract human rights, build walls, breathe threats. They preach heaven to be an exclusive club rather than an inclusive kingdom. This is faith that is appropriated but not exercised flabby. The tiny mustard seed of faith that God has given you is enough. And it is strong because I know you and you're exercising it. You're exercising it by bringing the Colomites family here from Mariupol to Iowa City. You're exercising it by caring for the sick and the grieving among us. You are exercising it by welcoming and celebrating our beloved ones from the LGBTQIA community. You're exercising it by partnering with the Cathedral Church in Tanzania and building wells that provide safe drinking water. You're exercising it by giving coats and boots and blankets to the Domestic Violence Intervention Project in Iowa City. You exercise it whenever you vote for leaders, local and national, who stand for justice and health and housing and education and clean water and food and employment and safety for all people, not just the rich and powerful. Maybe you feel like you don't have a lot of faith, but that's not the question. Is it strong? Could it be stronger? If it's not strong, exercise it. And it can be strong enough to move mountains. And this is the kingdom of God within you, a tiny but mighty mustard seed of faith that moves mountains. Moving mountains is what the Gospel of Luke is all about, after all. Challenging societal norms, carrying the cross, giving up possessions, prioritizing the poor and the marginalized, critiquing the rich. In their abuse of wealth and power, and calling for a cooperative, egalitarian, even utopian reordering of society, this is exactly what the Sermon on the Plain is all about, which is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus blesses the poor and the hungry and the meek and the brokenhearted. Jesus' call to reverse the structures that oppress is what moving mountains looks like. To engage and tap into such kingdom reality means that you have strong faith. Not necessarily a lot of it. It's not really that hard to visualize, though, is it? Isn't it better to have less of a good thing? We can visualize that. A small piece of cheesecake versus a giant bad cheesecake. A little bit of good chocolate versus a ton of bad chocolate. glass of really good wine. Versus bottles of bad wine, wouldn't you rather have three good friends than thirty bad ones? Wouldn't you rather have a tiny cup of good espresso than six cups of church coffee? Sorry. (laughs) Too far, I know, but it's true. I know it's a hard time to have faith. I do. Much less strong faith. I too am terrified of what I read. (laughs) Nuclear war, I remember all too well what it felt like to be raised in the Cold War of the 1980s. You remember that time as well. Like you, I'm horrified by our climate crisis and its consequential results of catastrophic hurricanes like Ian that has left indescribable damage in Cuba and Florida. Like you, I too draw a direct historical line between dictators, past and present, who wrongly claim lands that do not belong to them. Like you, I sometimes feel hopeless and full of despair, and I find myself begging God for a future, if not for me, then for the planet, for my children, for your children. Never once in my life did I think that I would ever quote a naked gun movie in a sermon. So if you're going to judge me, this is the time to do it. In fact, I might might win uh, worst pastor ever for doing this. So the 1988 movie, The Naked Gun, didn't exactly afford us the most sophisticated cultural influences. I know that, but it did make us laugh about exactly the same time that the Berlin Wall was falling down, ironically. Anyway, Leslie Nielsen is talking to Priscilla Presley, and he says it's a topsy-turvy world, Janie. And maybe the problems of two people don't amount to a hill of beans, but this is our hill, and these are our beans. I love this quote. We use it in our house all the time. And it's kind of funny when it comes back to bite you in the rear when your own teenagers throw it in your face when you threaten to move our entire family to Canada when Trump was elected, or when you offered to buy Greenland. I'm never getting over that. And the boys refused, invoking the, this is our hill, and these are our beans from Naked Gun. They didn't quote Homer, or the Constitution, or MLK, but Naked Gun in a time of crisis is what's called upon in our home. And looking at the three of them, I remember wondering, what mountains can three young boys possibly move in such a messed up country and world? But their tiny and mighty mustard seeds of faith are strong enough to move mountains in their own way, with their own beans, on their own hill. For Christians, the answer is not to run away from stuff, but to engage what is here What is now our hill, our beans, and in engaging our hill of beans, faith becomes strong. 500 years ago, Martin Luther thought the world was ending. With the Roman Empire breaking apart, mostly his fault, with the Black Plague, the military threat of Turks invading from the East, things didn't look good. When asked what he would do if he knew the world would end tomorrow, he said, I would plant an apple tree. Whether a tiny seed in the ground or a tiny seed in your heart, it's enough to move mountains. That might not seem like a big deal unless that mountain stands between you and freedom, or food, or housing, or racial justice, or inclusion, then the mountain isn't insignificant at all. It's an obstacle between life and death, between oppression and justice, between bondage and freedom. The disciples aren't stupid. They're just little. They're young. You and me, we're not stupid. We're not. We're just little. We're asking young questions and we're making mistakes, but tiny doesn't mean weak. My grandma was one of the tiniest people I ever knew, but she was a tornado and would put the fear of God in you if you got in her way. The power of God is at work within you, making your faith stronger than you ever thought possible. Through tiny you, Tiny me, God, is moving mountains. Amen.